0: The hits literally keep on coming from one boxing event to the next. They grow in excitement and anticipation. And this weekend is no different with two of the sport's most respected fighters stepping into the ring Saturday night. And there's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To celebrate this weekend's huge event, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering new users the opportunity to get 55-1 to odds on either main event fighter to win this weekend's fight. That's uh, bet $1, and if the fighter of your choice wins, you cash $55. Plus, with the basketball and hockey playoffs right around the corner, DraftKings Sportsbook has even more ways for you to make it rain. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, meaning you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Here's what you do. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOODMAN when you sign up. It's that simple. The uh, promo code again is GOODMAN. It is DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app today. Hey, clean up your to-do list this spring with built-in-America steel, chainsaws, blowers, trimmers, and much more available at your local steel dealer. Remember, it's S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com, and there's one right around the corner from you because they have more than 10,000 dealers in the country. Hey, make your property look good. They have electric and battery and gas-powered products go shop at steel man it's fun and then go attack your property this spring and make it look outstanding with steel products stihl steeldealers.com this week on the drew goodman podcast former rocky mark sweeney on his experience in the big leagues how do i keep a
1: major league uniform on Uh, because it's a privilege i was on seven different teams That Rockies uniform meant just as much as the St. Louis Cardinal's uniform. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast and leave a comment. It helps other people find the show.
0: This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to podcast number 96. We are thrilled as always that you're along with us. And I thought I would start today with the most important category. And that category is shit I don't care about despite being a lover of sports. So there you go. And I begin with NFL OTAs. Yeah, I was perusing the uh, internet this morning, and I came across the fact that a lot of teams are having their OTAs. And the first thought I had is, wait a second, I've referenced OTAs many times when I was doing radio and in casual conversations. And I'm like, what the hell does OTA stand for again? I'd forgotten. I literally had to look it up again. Organized team activity. And I said, oh, that's right, brain. Organized team activity. I mean, this is like practice before practice really begins. And sometimes they have multiple OTAs before camp opens. And we know how important camp is, right? This is, you know, ludicrous. And we're going to pay, because we're lovers of of the NFL, we're going to pay very close attention to OTAs. But... If OTA stand for organized team activity, um, it begs the question: Is it an OTA if, as a team activity, they say go to Shanahan's together and have steaks and cold ones and good wine? Or if they, as an organized team activity, go to Top Golf, does that count as well? What I mean: What if they went to the Denver Zoo together? Is that an OTA? You know, I, I know I'm guilty of it. I know I've used that term before. It's also like I'll make a baseball analogy. I love spring training, and, I'm, and I say that unabashedly. In broadcast during the regular season, especially early, I will and have recently referenced, I just did it with Connor Joe. He had a great spring, man. He's up with the Rockies, and he's being rewarded for that, and he's continued you know, good work, and obviously there's been some injuries. But I'll reference what happens in March, knowing full well, as you do, because you guys are sharp, that what happens in March in baseball is not entirely, but pretty much irrelevant. What is relevant is what you do in May and June and July when you are providing an opportunity. If you are all Cactus League, awesome but you'd rather be all April and May on a big league team than all Cactus League or all Grapefruit League back in March. But we make a big deal about it, kind of like OTAs. So uh, under the category of shit I don't really care about, OTAs is near the top of the list as we talk about this in mid-May. Hey, we're taping this on a Tuesday. Monday night, man, I went downtown and, and uh, watched the Avs game with uh, with my oldest son and one of his buddies, and we were absolutely riveted. You know how big an Avalanche fan I am, how exciting this group uh, is, and this game against Vegas, which was the biggest game of the year, and the Avalanche's, you know, prevailed two to one, and it provides them an opportunity to finish number one in the league, win the President's Cup, home ice uh, throughout, which is which is. Is big, You know, ordinarily in hockey, if you look at the playoffs last year, it's almost a 50-50 split. I mean, you know, teams win slightly more at home than they do on the road, but it's not like a foregone conclusion because you have a home ice, you're, you're going to win. But with the Avalanche this year, and in this season of COVID and limited fans in the seats, the Avalanche have absolutely dominated at Ball Arena. So it is it is a big deal, and it was their stated goal. But a couple of thoughts on what we witnessed in that game against Vegas. Remember a couple of weeks ago, had Mark Mosier on the, um, on the podcast, and one of the things he talked about and we discussed was really the way to beat the Avalanche, because they're the best skating team in the NHL, is to really take their space away and be physical with them, and maybe get them off their game because you're thinking retribution instead of doing what you need to do, and that's put the, the puck in the back of the net. Vegas has the talent to be physical and come close to skating with the Avalanche. Vegas, Vegas is a Stanley Cup contender just like the Avalanche, legitimately. And they were able to do that on Monday night. I mean, the Avalanche are used to outshooting the opponent by 10, 15 shots a night. And it was the other way around. They were really physical despite being shorthanded. And honestly, they outplayed the Avalanche, which brings me to my second point. And that is Philip Grubauer. I've been saying this uh, multiple times on the podcast. He is a Vesna Trophy finalist, without question, and may capture the Vesna Trophy. He has been so steady, and he has been big in the quote-unquote large games. None bigger than the game on Monday night against Vegas, as the Avalanche won two to one. He stole that game. And it's a phrase we use in hockey postseason frequently. As great as Nathan McKinnon is, and if you had to pay to watch one player play in the NHL, he'd be atop the list, whether I lived in Colorado or New York or Los Angeles or Tampa or Edmonton or Calgary, maybe. But he's right. <laughs> Start thinking about some of the other great players. But Nathan McKinnon's up there. He's top two or three. We know that, right? But having said that, and as great as Kael McCarr is, who's going to win Norris trophies, if not this year, he's going to win Norris trophies as the best defenseman in the league, and he's only 22. Those guys are fabulous. Love Gabe Lambiscott, one of the great leaders um, our town has seen the last 20 years uh, in sports. Love Love him. But the most important player... And the key ingredient, clearly, to winning a Stanley Cup for the Avalanche is the play of Philip Grubauer. Because he can steal you a game when you get outplayed. As rare as that has been during the regular season. They got outplayed in the biggest game of the year against Vegas on Monday night. They got outshot completely. Vegas was the more physical team. Yet the Avalanche won because Philip Grubauer stopped 36 out of 37 shots. That's why they won. Moving on, did you happen to catch D.K. Metcalf, the, the Seattle wideout running 100 meters in a, in a professional track event? It was a USA track and field golden games and distance open in Walnut, California. Now, there were a couple of heats, and, and so there was nine in one and eight in another. He finished DFL in his heat, but it wasn't, you know, looking at the heels of everybody. It was it was pretty much bang bang. And he ran 3 three, seven at six four and two hundred and thirty pounds. He didn't embarrass himself at all. In fact, of the seventeen competitors, he was faster than two of them. And this is not a guy that's been training a ton on a track, one would assume. He's a football player. And there was much speculation what it would look like when he ran against True sprinters. These guys were trying to make the Olympic team, and he didn't embarrass himself one iota. It was it was a marvel to watch. Ten three seven at two hundred and thirty pounds rolling down uh, the track. That was a sight to behold. And it also got me thinking about. I love the Olympics. I'm looking forward to to the Summer Games. Hopefully, they come off without a of hitch. There's a purity to events in track and field and swimming. Off the top of my head that I'm all in on you know when you're seven years old eight years old nine years old and you're in the neighborhood or you're with your buddies at a park and you go all right let's race who's the fastest I mean if you lined up and you went there was no debate somebody finished first and somebody didn't you were faster or you were at least faster on that day when it came time to go in the weight room and you got got underneath the bench and you said all right I can do this and I can do more than you and you you either did or you didn't um there's a purity to those types of things. Like in the swimming pool. I was never gonna race anybody in swimming, but anyhow, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna dive in the pool and we're gonna race to the other end and back. And whoever finishes first, they're the fastest in whatever stroke you decided to swim. I love that. And that's what we were watching with, with DK Metcalf. These aren't judged the bands. There wasn't, you know, the uh, <laughs> the 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 judge from uh Russia gives a nine four and everybody else is you know gave a nine eight. I mean there's there's none of that. So uh I'm all in on that. I look forward, it got me thinking I, I do look forward to uh the summer games uh coming up. And I love, love track and field and I love all the events uh in the pool. There's been a downturn, folks, in offensive numbers. You hear it on the ATT uh t broadcast of the Rockies. Uh, you know, we talk about it fairly Frequently, we understand that the trend has been for home runs, walks, and strikeouts, right? We set a new strikeout record every full year in baseball for 20 years running. In fact, at this juncture right now, there have been over 9,000 strikeouts in baseball through the first, what, half dozen weeks, and there have been about 1,200 less hits. The batting average has been 234. On-base percentage in baseball, 311, and the slugging percentage, 392. So I was wondering, all right, how much has this changed, say, in the last 10 years? So I went back to 2011. 2011, over a full season, obviously, um, there were 34,000-plus strikeouts. There were 42,000-plus, almost 8,000 more um, hits. Well, right now, the trend is far more strikeouts than hits. This is just 10 years. Batting average was 255. On base percentage was better at 321. Slugging percentage, um, slightly better, 399. I said it was 392 uh, this year. And, you know, baseball's experimenting in some of these independent leagues with moving the mound back, uh, foot, experimenting with no shifting in the infield, trying to provide more offense. But some of it honestly has to come philosophically from guys at the plate. It used to be, there was a stigma, and it was a negative one, attached with striking out, or striking out with great frequency. I'm not saying guys like to strike out in today's game, but the negative stigma is not what it once was. Because if you can hit a big fly every 20 at-bats, and maybe throw out a double or two, and yeah, you struck out eight times during those 20 at-bats, Those are almost forgotten about, and the game, to me, I love home runs, but the game is not as exciting, so I think that change, not necessarily from a rule standpoint, needs to take place, but more from a philosophical standpoint. It's okay if some of the guys in the middle of the order, they're big thump guys and they're big swing guys, but some of the other guys, the ball's got to be in play more. And it's harder than ever because the pitching is ridiculously good. I mean, you have, you know, I know Jacob DeGrom's a freak, but you have a lot of guys who talk about it all the time. They're throwing the ball triple digits with movement. Uh, it, it's never been harder to hit. But it is worth following moving forward uh, because this will be a continuing discussion um, with guys making left turns so frequently or more frequently uh, than ever before. Hey, before we get to... Uh, to Mark Sweeney, uh, I, I want to give a little preamble here. There have been more players um, in baseball and other sports that are coming forward with their mental health issues and the battles with depression, the battles with anxiety. And I think in the sports world, there's always been this uh, machismo that that's attached to being an athlete you know, tough it out, you know, pick yourself up. And too often when people struggle in and out of sports, they're afraid to come forward. They're, they're afraid to seek help. And I think it's wonderful that more athletes are giving other people uh, an avenue as if to say it's okay and it's more than okay, it's necessary to come out and, and seek help. Ryan Buchter is one uh, reliever that uh, has had success in the big leagues and, and has been around um, for a while. Not a huge name, but um, he is among many. Kevin Love, I think, of uh, in the NBA uh, fairly recently uh, to come out. And I think that the more athletes that do this again, Uh, provide an opening for people who adore athletes and adore athletics um, to seek help when it's necessary. It's one of the things we're going to talk about uh, with Mark Sweeney in addition to uh, some old stories about some uh, great major league players, and some of them are Colorado Rockies as well. So I think you're going to enjoy uh, this interview with Mark Sweeney. He's a bright, articulate um, super guy that uh, I enjoyed getting to be uh, friends with, so to speak, when, uh, when he first arrived in Colorado and it's continued now as he uh, has put on a, a hat of a broadcaster. So uh, I'm proud to call him a friend and a colleague, and I hope you enjoyed the uh, Ideal Home Loans Interview of the Week. Former Rocky, Mark Sweeney. All right, I'm really excited about this one. It's uh, it's talking to uh, an old friend, a guy who had a hell of a big league career and just moved into television like uh, like some of us get to do, I guess, um, who, who play and you do a great job on television. Mark, first of all, how are you, man? How's family? Everybody doing well?
1: Drew, everyone's doing well uh, through the crazy life of this pandemic. Um, you know what? We've, we've moved on to just having a good time. And as you know with me, um, you got to create those uh, those fun times, no matter what you're de- dealt with. But uh, I appreciate uh, you having me on, and you know we love talking baseball together. So this was, this should be fun.
0: Yeah, and you got a great podcast going that we'll talk about a little bit later. Major League uh, beginnings, which I think's a a fascinating topic where you delve into. And you know this now as a broadcaster, you love telling the story. About the guy and how he got called up to the big leagues, whether it's a you know a guy who got five million dollars to sign because he was a first round pick, or some guy that was uh, you know an undrafted free agent like my you know my partner Jeff Houston. You know you were a ninth round pick. Everybody's got a great story, and um, I look forward to talking to you a little bit about that as well later on. Speaking of great stories. I'll always remember this isn't a great story, but I I've always I was always partial to you. And it was a cab ride you and I shared, and I want to say your dad was was with you at the time. We were going to Wrigley Field, you were going to play, I was going to, you know, stick a microphone in front of my mouth. And um and, and we, we hit it off, I think, and one of the reasons for me is we're both Northeast guys, man. And there and I and there's something special for me about a Northeast guy. Yep. And uh, you you have a great story because you went to the University of Maine, which has traditionally had a great program. Most people wouldn't know that.
1: Yeah, and you know what, Drew? Uh, I mean, everyone has that that story and how you create uh, you know getting to the big leagues is fascinating. But um, yeah, I, I remember that cab ride too because uh, to me, baseball. I, first off, I was privileged to be in a major league uniform, and I never lost sight of that. Um, for all the fans that that listen. Um, I was the guy that wanted a day in the big leagues. I pushed for that and you end up getting it and you go, I'm going to push for the second day. I'm going to push for the third day. Um, some, some guys get it a little bit easier than others. Uh, I liked that path. I thought it was, it fit my personality. It fit what I was doing, but I do remember that cab ride and why I say that is that, um, uh, my family and my parents were always there for, for every sporting event as a child and all the way up to college. And when you get into the minor leagues and big leagues, you're, you're traveling so far, it's really hard for them to do that. But um, when I had that chance and they were able to see a weekend series in, college, in Chicago or uh, go to St. Louis or go to these different venues, um, it was personalized for me. And the way they raised me is it's it's not about the players. It's not about your individual self. It's about everyone that's comprised of baseball. And for you and, and I, my relationship, it grew because I love just having conversations with with people on, on normal stuff. It doesn't have to be baseball. It has to be driven through baseball, and, and we were fortunate of that. But, man, our relationship just flourished because um, – the Northeast connection is definitely there. But also, you know, Drew, this game is fun. Uh, the people who are surrounding it are uh, what really makes the game special. So I remember that. My, my parents remember it. Um, and that's what really means the most to me.
0: Yeah, and, and, and that, that speaks to team chemistry, which is, you know, it's one of the age-old questions in all of sports. Um, and I think I know who you're going to probably answer this, is team chemistry overblown or is it legit on teams that are successful?
1: Uh, To me, 100% legit. Um, Why I say that, uh, back in the day it was 25 personalities, now it's 26, Uh, maybe 27 if you have a doubleheader. Those personalities within the locker room, are very different. Uh, you have uh, players from uh, Latin America. You have uh, J- Japanese players. You have Korean players. All of those challenges to bring everyone together is magical. And obviously, wins help. Um, close wins at the beginning of the year create that chemistry. But when you have fun with the times where you're not battling an, an opponent um, and you can come together, uh, it, it resonates and especially when you're winning, especially when you go to the playoffs, and if you're lucky enough to go to the World Series and win that trophy, um, you hear the interviews, and, Drew, you're doing them. You're doing the interviews with guys that are successful, like a Matt Holiday or, um, you know, uh, Todd Helton, and they're in 2007 They're they're going through a magical season, and all of a sudden you're doing interviews, and they're talking about chemistry. They're talking about how close everyone is. Uh, that's the reason why I think it's really important. It's not something that happens every single year. It changes with different personalities. But, man, it's it's essential if you're going to be a winning club, in my opinion.
0: Mark, were you an accidental big leaguer? And what I mean by that is you were a great athlete. I I think you won state championships in football as a quarterback in Massachusetts and and, and, and also in baseball. You went to Maine as a two-sport guy, but – you know, baseball, I've heard you describe this before. It's kind of like, yeah, you know, I like playing baseball in the spring. And tell us about that evolution.
1: Yeah, it's amazing you say that too, Drew. And, and uh, I was football first, um, but I was a sports kid. I was a sports junkie that that loved to compete, loved to play. Um, I think it's essential, especially this day and age, where kids are, are forced into one sport and they have to pick and choose at an early age. Um, I was fortunate enough to be the youngest of four boys. Uh, I could watch my brothers and see how they handled situations. But I wanted to be a leader, um, and that's the reason why the quarterback aspect of my athletic career was essential. Um, going to play college baseball was a privilege, and I didn't know uh, how long that was going to go. I didn't know if that sport was really um, important to me because I I just loved football so much. Um I got to college at the University of Maine, and it was a great program, as you alluded to, uh I was fortunate to know that I fell in love with baseball as, as a college player. And that might shock a lot of people, but when you're growing up in the Northeast, you play different sports, you're not playing something for an extended period of time. And I just loved the aspect that you could play different sports. But when I got to college, I realized if you're going to be good at anything, you better put an everyday body of work into it. And I love that aspect of baseball because it's so challenging. There's so many different negatives that you have to deal with. But when you achieve something in baseball, it just was appealing to me. So I made the tough transition after my freshman year as a quarterback. I I transitioned into full-time baseball. It was probably the best decision I've ever made because of the love that I had for it. And it just evolved from there. I I had a very successful team in college. I, I had a successful career. And had an opportunity to go uh, with the Angels in the minor leagues, so um, everything was is, was beating that challenge uh, moving forward up to a, a career in, in the big leagues where I always felt I was fortunate, but it really became uh, that work ethic that I that I started as a freshman at University of Maine.
0: And you know, you you played a long time. You played fourteen years. You're, I, I, I want to say, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want I don't want to say this to embarrass you. This is you know a huge <laughs> feather in your cap. I think. You, you, I believe you're still number one all time in pinch hit RBIs, and I think you're second in pinch hits. Is that still where you stand?
1: You are exactly right. You, th- you sound like my mom throwing my exploits uh, <laughs> out. Thank you very. Yeah.
0: You gotta have mom and dad and a couple of friends know know what the, where the hell you stand athletically, right? But um, you, you don't want to you don't wanna have to break that out yourself. Let let somebody else reel off your accomplishments. At what point in time though does you can you get your arms around where, hey, I may not be the everyday guy and the star that you were at Maine. I mean, you were Golden Spikes finalist as a college player of the year, um, your, your final year, I believe, in, in Orono. But when? Do, how do you, you get your arms around and go, OK, this is probably my role in the big leagues, which couldn't be a more difficult role, by the way, I think, from afar.
1: Yeah, Drew, and, and it, you hear that comment all the time too. I mean, because I've said this my whole career, 14 straight years, I said, I don't, I'm not dreaming, uh, to be a pinch hitter in the big leagues. Uh, every player dreams to be that everyday guy and you're, you're counted upon. Um, if you have drive at all, you want to be that guy. Um, also the drive is how do I keep a major league uniform on? uh because it's a privilege. I was on seven different teams. That Rockies uniform meant just as much as the St. Louis Cardinals uniform that I came at my first big league day in August fourth of of uh, uh nineteen ninety seven. I mean excuse me, ninety five. Um when I got to big leagues for the first time, putting a major league uniform on is an honor. Um and I always put things in perspective. But when your manager asked you to do something, I was always told, you know what? You say, yes, sir, and you get it done. Um, so that, to me, was important. So when I was asked to do a pinch hitting roll, um, I had confidence in my abilities to hit, and you're not going to hear a lot of boasting from me. I, I, I had to work hard at everything I had to do, and I had deficiencies. But I loved to hit, and I loved to figure out how to get it done. And at this level, pinch hitting against uh, Rob Nen and Trevor Hoffman and Mariano Rivera is not a role that you are uh, really excited to do because you're going to fail a lot. Um, it was, it was important for me to be the best I could possibly be, to prepare as much as I could and to embrace a role that was tough, but I never used as an excuse. I wanted to go out there and be the best version of myself and, you know what? Uh, I got to be able to do it, as you said, for 14 years. Um, and that's a privilege in itself.
0: We'll have more with the 14 year big leaguer Mark Sweeney, who's transitioned beautifully into the broadcast industry. But first, this for my friends at Ideal Home Loans. If you're looking to save money, I tell you every week, and I've told you this for quite some time. And by the way, interest rates just dropped. So if you've just purchased a house, or you're in the process of purchasing a home, or if you're refinancing, you need to give them a call 303-867-7000 303-867-7000 they've been doing it for a couple of decades in this market they have an a-plus rating with the better business bureau for many years involved with the uh, colorado rockies uh they're an outstanding corporate citizen and uh they're local man so you gotta love that brent ivinson's team are going to take wonderful care of you as they've done for me and many of my friends through the years it's ideal home loans 303 867 Now back to more with former Rocky Mark Sweeney. I was reading a piece today um, about Ryan Bookter, who you know because he's he's been a padre, he's a left-handed reliever, and his his numbers, he's this guy who's had success at the big leagues, he's had great success at the minor league level. And he and he's kind of come out talking about, as more players are doing, I think it's awesome, about depression, about anxiety about um, how difficult, I I think for anyone, coping uh, today is. but, But it's so exacerbated by the life of the big leaguer. And I think sometimes we gloss over that maybe as fans because we gravitate to the Machados and the Tatises with San Diego, the Trevor Stories and formerly obviously Nolan Arenado, you know, with the Rockies, the Charlie Blackman, these guys that have had great success and are and are making, you know, ridiculously large sums of money. And yet most people who are fortunate, I call you guys needles in a haystack, to get to the big leagues yeah. um and, and to stay as long as you did. But you're they, there's pressure on you every day to perform because because an 0 for 12 for you is not the same as an 0 for 12 for Manny Machado, right?
1: Right. And, and, and Drew, it's, it's such a great point because I think a lot of uh, fans just realize everything goes well for everyone because you're in the big leagues, you're making really good money um, playing a sport that you absolutely love. Um, I always say this that at the end of the year. Um, I'm not physically tired because I was a pinch hitter because you, you have too many days off. Um, but I was mentally drained and it has a lot to do with the pressures that you talk to talk about. Um, you go out there and have to perform and then you walk in the locker room and sometimes your manager's looking at you like, Hey man, you better do something. <laughs> you, uh, Tony La Russa comes to mind. The pressures of you having to perform, or you're going to get sent out, or you're going to get released. Uh, those things are real, and they're real for most of the players. And you made a great point. Uh, this is this game's based on the stars, but uh, the stars are, are comprised of probably less than ten percent of the of the sport. Everyone else kind of uh, you know falls into place, and it's a time frame that you're playing. The other thing that resonates with me too, Drew, on this and the pressures of it, um, it's not just the, the you know, the pitch hitters and the and the role players of all that stuff. I always watched and I was and you know me, I, I was I was so impressed with the talent of the Todd Heltons, the Nolan Arenados, the Trevor Stories, um, you know, the Trevor Hoffmans. I, I always noticed this, and it wasn't everybody, but I noticed that these stars set a bar for themselves every single year. So they have a career year. The fans look at it as, well, they, they hit 45 home runs this year and they, they batted 340. Um, they should hit 350 next year and they should have 50 home runs. So that, why I say that is I always recognize that there was some insecurities in the stars of the game that I was amazed at, and you'd be surprised that some of them are, are probably the most insecure players in the game of baseball. And why I say that is that the bar is set too high. And where do, where, where is it where you're not failing if you're hitting 40 home runs instead of 45 because you had it a year before? There is many, many pressures in this game, and there's a personality effect that they just want to be the, the normal guy and some of these stars can't be a normal guy because of what they're making and, and being in the limelight. So there's multiple pressures on these guys um, not to feel sad for them, but it is real. Uh, Ryan Buchter has a lot of reason to say, you know what, there's things that you deal with that on the surface you might not look like you're nervous or you're not, uh, you know, basically deficient in being the, the toughest guy on the field uh it, it it is real and i always was concerned about personalities and and how people dealt with different things
0: did you ever struggle with it did you ever you know go whether to your parents i know you described how close you are with your folks and um yeah. or, or was there a place you went or maybe it was another teammate where you could confide because there is a machismo that exists in any sports locker room, you never want to show weakness.
1: Yeah, I mean, I relied on my parents a lot. And uh, I think probably asking them that question, they would say, man, there were a lot of lonely phone calls where they didn't know the answer and they were just talking to me. Um, I'd hang up the phone and I would stare at the ceiling in our in our hotel room saying, you know, when am I going to get a hit? I got to get this stuff done. I got to, got to, I got to. Um, so I, I... I To answer that, I probably got better with experience and better with probably a little more confidence that, hey, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be prepared, and with all the failures that we're dealing with, um, I'm okay with it because I emptied the tank. Um, Some people don't have that ability, and they also don't have uh, the people to be able to have those conversations. Even though you're friends with certain guys in the locker room, uh, you, you don't you don't empty your dirty laundry or, or your problems on somebody because you're you're failing. Um, so a lot of that is taken and, and, and really kept within yourself. But man, I, I had a great support group. I had my brothers to talk to, uh, even though they weren't baseball players, they gave me all kinds of perspective. And, you know, when you have a close family, you have a close knit. And, and I always had a, a network of, of close friends that I could talk to, but, Man, Drew, a lot of the of big leagues is dealing with failures on your own, and it makes you mentally stronger, or it can also uh, you know, tear you up inside. But, man, I felt like I, I, uh, I got a grasp of it the more and more experience I got.
0: Yeah, I tell you, there, it, I'm glad, as I said, that more people are coming out and, and talking about this important issue. When, when I ask you to reflect back, you seven teams, something about the Padres, they kept asking you back. They never got enough of you, I guess. But, but what do you remember most about your time with the Rockies?
1: Um, uh, just the experiences, uh, the guys that I got to watch. Uh, Larry Walker, the Hall of Famer. Um, I, I say it to this day, Drew, he's the best baseball player, all-around baseball player I ever got to put the same uniform on. And that's saying a lot because being around Tony Gwynn and Barry Larkin and being around Barry Bonds, uh, Todd Helton, um, those were the experiences. Two left-handed hitters uh, that I thought the world of, Larry Walker and Todd Helton. I loved the way Todd competed every single day. Um, There was a a lot to love, but really it it came down to uh, the people surrounding baseball, the Jamie Quirks, the bench coaches of the world that – that just taught you so many things or had uh, meaningful conversations with you. Um, I, I remember that I, I, I loved Colorado. I loved Denver. I, I loved going to the ballpark because it's one of the most beautiful ballparks in the game. Um, but man, uh, Clint Hurdle gave me the opportunity to play more. Um, it, it, it was just a lot of fun and, and, and being around my, my teammates is always something that, Um, It built my character. It built my uh, love for the game of baseball. And uh, I was fortunate to to be in that uniform.
0: Drew has more with former Rocky Mark Sweeney right after this. Love telling you about Boyer's Coffee because uh, I drink it consistently and it's consistently good. They began here in the Rocky Mountains back in 1965. And they always have... You know, great sales going on, and they make tremendous coffee. In fact, you can have it delivered to your house, as I do. Um, Every few weeks, uh, I sign up, get another uh, batch of coffee delivered to my house, and it's wonderful. I also catch them uh, at the ballpark, as you know, at home games with the Boyer's Cafe, which is up on the club level. Um, BoyersCoffee.com is where you can reach out to them. Or if you want to uh, go to the store, you can certainly do it that way and find their great products there. Boyer'sCoffee.com, they're a Colorado company and they have made outstanding coffee for a couple of generations now. One of the most difficult periods in life can be the breakup of a marriage. Tough times, no question about it. I want to tell you about a family law firm I know will provide you understanding and compassion and provide you with exceptional guidance you'll find it at one of the top family law firms in the region in cox baker and page they've been celebrated and honored for their work and their compassion for a number of years by u.s news and world report and laura page and mary cox are consistently listed by them with the best lawyer distinction so if you or someone you know needs assistance reach them at coxbakerandpage.com, coxbakerandpage.com, and mention you heard it here from me, and you'll receive a discount on your initial consultation. Once again, it's coxbakerandpage.com, a family law firm. Now back to Drew's conversation with former Rocky Mark Sweeney. I always kid Todd, and Todd's been on the show before. In fact, we're going to hook up here uh, again down the road shortly. Um, Todd was a character of the game. Um, you, again, played a long time, a lot of different teams. When I asked you, as I'm doing now, um, all-time favorite characters and why, who, who's, the, who's the couple guys that immediately come to mind?
1: It's funny. He was in a Rockies uniform, but Jenny Nagel was absolutely hilarious. Um, I had so many teammates that um, had the ability to really uh, break the ice in the locker rooms. Um there, there's so many guys to even just point out, Drew. So I wouldn't do it a disservice, and I know I'd forget somebody. But even like a Phil Nevin, for example, not known for his his uh, humor, but man, he had a dry sense of humor, and it was it was really funny. Um, but when you're in a locker room that has a, a closeness, uh, there is nothing untold in, in the locker room, and we had a lot of fun. Uh, but I always tried to bring that out in everybody because if you're if you're going to give crap, you better get it back. Um, and I tried to create that with certain guys. Um, I absolutely loved it. Uh, Todd Green was one of my favorites, even though he wasn't that funny guy. But we always loved to laugh, and and uh, we we still to this day have such a close relationship. So, um, as you know, Greeny is one of those guys that man, he tells you a matter of fact. Um, But some things are are, are pretty funny
0: when he talks about it. The Greenies, one of my all-time favorites, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned him because I've told this story before. You two guys are are not, uh, you you two guys are are no dummies. And so when you were both Giants with one Barry Bonds and Barry hit his 715th, you kind of knew where the camera was going to be. Why don't you take us through that?
1: Right. We, we did. And, uh, you know, we used to have fun. It, it, it brings up so many stories because Dave Getty, the pitching coach at that time, had some, some funny, quirky things that he used to do. And, and we'd make fun of him and he'd look back at us and he goes, we gotta, we gotta have somebody play you guys so you can get out in the field. So, uh, when we're on the bench, we were having a blast, but you bring up the Barry Bonds thing, uh, and people don't realize this too. We, we did, um, we did a situation in, in uh, spring training where we dressed up Barry, Barry Bonds, and he looked like he dressed up in drag. We did a talent show with all the rookies. And this is when Tim Lincecum back in the day was a rookie. So um, we, had, we had Barry dress up, and it was a two-day event. So we had to ask him to dress up the second day, and he was like, no, I'm not dressing up this day. And I literally told Barry Bonds, I said, Barry, if you dress up one day and then you don't do it, and then here comes the cameras and they're expecting you to do it again. He goes, I said, you're going you're gonna to look stupid, man. Like, it's going to look like you just played it off, like you weren't even having fun. I said, you got to do it twice. And sure enough, he dressed up and he did it twice. And it was the encouragement of me and Greeny to have him do it. Um, we had a blast with that talent show. It was Matt Cain. It was Tim Lincecum. All of these guys are rookies. Brian Wilson was a rookie, and these guys had to sing in front of all of us. But we raised a bunch of money because Barry just let loose. He had fun, yeah, and these are guys that aren't known for letting loose. Um, Greeny and I got those guys going, man, and, it, and we had a blast doing it.
0: Yeah, and then and then take us through also. So Barry hits his 715, and the first two cats out on the field: Todd Green and Mark Sweeney. Yeah, well, I was hit.
1: I was I was in that game. So I I think I was – I wasn't on deck, but I was the next guy after that. And he he hits it, and it's like, hey, man, you know, we got to go out there and celebrate. Greeny is is like – I I thought it was like his son, Nico, that that was trying (laughs) to go out there and try to beat Nico onto the field. Um, It it, it was one of those things, man, that, uh, you know, Barry had a lot of bad rap, but you know what? We were his teammate, and and we were going to go out there and celebrate. But yeah, we we got out there. Uh, we de- definitely knew the cameras were going to be on Barry, so we had to get we had to get involved. I
0: I always felt this. I've told this story before about Barry, and I had a you know a, a solid relationship with him because I f- I feel like if you approached him w- with you know purpose and confidence and who you are he was very receptive and and he was great very engaging in fact um, yeah. and if you went up to him and you were paying attention to the reputation and you were timid he was like a dog and he and he, and he smelled fear in you and he ate you up
1: that's a good point and, and I totally agree with you I'd say this to a lot of people um, these these guys get their butt kissed all the time right uh, if you don't kiss their butt and you act like a normal human being and you, you just, you, you're, you're truthful to them and you're, you're confident as you said, he, he loved it. And he would talk to you. I've said this to so many people. He was the superstar that could teach it. And, and there's not many superstars that can teach it. Larry Walker can't teach you how to um, feel the ball off the right field wall and act like he's catching it um, like a, a regular put out and then turn, catch it on a bounce and throw the guy out at second base, which we saw. Um, he can't teach that. Uh, he didn't have the ability to teach how he hit because he was like, hey, man, I, I just I just grabbed the bat and I swing. That's what they look at it as. Barry would break things down. Um, if he didn't play one night, I'd come up in the locker room getting ready to pinch hit, and I'd say, Barry, what do you see? And he'd be watching the game in his locker. And we're, we're frustrated he's not playing, but he was attentive to the game. And he'd say, don't even think about his curveball. He can't throw it for a strike. So he said, eliminate it. And he always talked about eliminating pitches. So that's what I mean about teaching aspects because there's certain guys that, that couldn't teach it. Barry was one of the unique ones that obviously he learned from his godfather, Willie Mays, who just turned 90. Um, he also learned from his dad, his late father. They, he understood how to teach hitting and it was really impressive how he could do it
0: well that team that uh, mark follows the san diego Padres, is super talented and they have a number of guys that have kind of gotten off to uh, to slow starts uh, as well um, but uh, th- they put together quite a group and you know we discussed fernando tatis jr down the road fernando tatis is a guy you can't keep your eyes off of, whether he's playing shortstop or certainly when he's in the batter's box and when he reaches, man, he's, he's a holy terror on the base pass and he does it with a smile on his face. So um, it's, uh, it's fun. As a, as a guy that loves the sport, first and foremost, you don't like when he beats up the Rockies, certainly, but as a guy that loves the sport, um, Fernando Tatis is, uh, is a joy out there. We'll have more with, uh, with Mark next week as well. We'll delve into some other topics that I think, uh, you'll find interesting and entertaining. That'll do it for this edition of the Drew Goodman podcast. A reminder that, uh, the DNBR folks cover the sport and cover the Rockies exceptionally well, and they do it on a day-to-day basis. Make sure you download and subscribe uh, to uh, their podcast. That's uh, Drew Kreisman and Patrick Lyons, two good buddies of mine. I join them uh, once a week, and we always have uh, fun. So that's the DNVR podcast. All right, stay well, stay safe, be happy, and we'll talk to you in a week, everyone. Take care.